Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Let the filibustering begin. Welcome to Nerd Party. the dawn of the third age of mankind. Ten years after the Earth-Minbari War, the Babylon Project was a dream given form. Its goal, to prevent another war by creating a place where humans and aliens could work out their differences peacefully. It's a port of call, home away from home for diplomats, hustlers, entrepreneurs, and wanderers. Humans and aliens wrapped in 2,500,000 tons of spinning metal, all alone in the night. It can be a dangerous place, but it's our last best hope for peace. This is the story of the last of the Babylon stations. The year is 2258. The name of the place is Babylon 5. Welcome to Filibuster. I'm Philip Gilfus, and joining me in the CNC today is... Charlene Schmidt. Or should I say, Commander Charlene Schmidt. That's right. And we're here to begin our, if you can believe it, six-part series on Babylon 5, one of our favorite TV shows. Yes! This has been such a long time in the making. I'm so excited we're finally doing this. Yes, I feel like, you know, if, if you've heard uh, Charlene talk about it on her show, Punch It!, which I guess I was also on there as well. Yes, you and, were. And elsewhere, yes, we, we are looking forward to this. We're going to be tackling each of the five seasons of Babylon 5 by themselves. So this will be season one, of course, that we're going to be doing today. And then we'll do a sixth episode that will tackle uh, the television movies of Babylon 5 and maybe any concluding thoughts we have at the end of our journey into that dark night. Cool. So, 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 are, are you? What, what, what was it like? You know, uh, uh, getting back on on Babylon Five, sure. It's been incredibly refreshing, and it's been a reminder of just how much I love this show, how incredibly good this show is. There are some incredible parallels between what happens on this show and what is happening in in our real world it seems all the more relevant. And as much as I enjoyed it back in the late 90s, when I first watched it, I'm getting a lot more out of it this time, in part just because of hindsight. I know what's going to happen, and I can look for more minor details. But also just because there's a little bit of catharsis involved. That's where I'm at with it. How about you? (laughs) Yes, yes. No, no, I'm, I'm enjoying it so much. And and just a reminder, um, we're going to be talking a lot about the content, but for those who want to hear more about the structure of Babylon 5, perhaps you may have missed it. Okay, and for those who may have missed it, we've already talked about Babylon 5 uh, and the background and the writing on Punch It, and which one was that, Shar? 
I believe that was episode 16, titled And So It Begins. Yes. And so um, for those who may have missed that, we ask you to, to tune into that because that's where we talked about the background and the writing and the structure. And here we're just going to be story and maybe some other things too, but we're just going to be, you know, going at it full burn into the story here at Babylon 5. Yes. Yeah. So if you don't want spoilers, this is not the podcast for you because we are going to season by season break it down spoil everything, discuss the freaking heck out of it. And boy, do we have a lot to cover. So why don't we dig right on in and get going with the pilot titled The sure. Gathering. And just just a reminder for folks, this is much like Babylon 5. Uh, each uh, season setup is going to be a self-contained um, discussion. Um, so for, for this episode, we're going to be going from 2257 to New Year's morning of 2259. So... Char, The Gathering, the two-hour pilot movie, hit us. <laughs> there are times when I want to hit this pilot. Uh, as far as pilots go, you know, there's good pilots and there's bad pilots. And compared to the rest of Babylon 5, boy, if there's anything that you might want to possibly skip, this may or may not be it. Yeah, one thing that, that really struck me, um, especially since this is supposed to be you know, introducing Babylon 5, and then when you compare it to the first episode of the first season, uh, Midnight on the Firing Line, I believe, um, it's, it's yep. you know, and I guess you, you really don't notice it until you, you match them up. But I guess I noticed even watching The Gathering, like how dark and dingy and like, this is a terrible place. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to be in Babylon 5. It's like prostitutes everywhere, <laughs> druggies. It's it's not a great place. Yeah, I mean, it's basically like our real life now on Earth, but in 700 tons of spinning metal in space. I mean, it is in the future, and there are some things that are better about the future, but this is a more quote-unquote realistic future. It's not a utopia future, and so all of these things, these are not problems that are eradicated. They still exist. They're still prevalent. They are still problems, but... Uh, I guess humanity just has not figured it out on Babylon 5. And yes, it does have a little bit of a, a dirtier, um, maybe, I don't know, more, what do I want to say here? Just not as clean of a feel. It's, it's not as streamlined. You right. Know what I and, mean? and this is, of course, I always have to make Star Trek references. The, the, the thing I, I made in my notes is that this <laughs> reminds me of Star Trek 5. It reminds me of Nimbus 3. Uh, the planet of galactic peace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. No, it's not nearly that bad. Ew. You don't have three-breasted cat I'm ladies sure. dancing if, in the Zopolo. Well, I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if there were, it's Londo right. would know about it, first exactly. off. But, <laughs> no, usually it's Centauri women. Sure, but. sure. Okay, maybe maybe there are. Maybe there are. I'll concede right, right. that. Right, and maybe even Jakar would, would find them as well. Um, one thing, I mean, talking about aliens, one thing that I think The Gathering does start off with, and of course the whole series does, is all the aliens. Like, this isn't like, hey, we'll have three people with foreheads, and then it's just humans. It's like, I mean, I don't know if you want to start doing the math, but it's probably three-fourths aliens on in The Gathering and, and throughout. Like, just in the background I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's very much... A uh, portrayal that's not completely human centric, even though our many of our main characters are human. 
but there's a lot of accommodations that we notice. Like for one thing, there's different atmospheres on Babylon 5. And in some cases, gravitational factors are changed by each section to accommodate the, the home worlds of these various aliens, which I think is really cool in realistic science fiction. We don't see that on Star Trek. No, not really. yeah, I mean the alien sector is is just like I said, is just so in really embracing the concept that these are alien. You know, they're all humanoid, of course. Or, well, most of them are. Um, we have some insects who. Yeah, not all of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah if you want to get something, you want to go to the big insect. He's the guy. But uh. <laughs> yeah, he knows everybody. He knows that guy who can get any kind of contraband into Babylon Five. <laughs> and then I guess this, this is also the introduction. I'm going to go ahead and throw this out, and I don't know if listeners will agree or disagree, and I suppose this is always a, a topic of debate with Babylon 5. I have zero problem with the CGI in Babylon 5. I mean, what, <laughs> what do you feel? You know, I, I, I think on first glance, yeah, it looks kind of bad, uh, especially in The Gathering, where it's not nearly as refined as, say, by the time you get to season two Babylon 5, it is much more refined. It's a lot cleaner looking. It's a lot better. It's a lot more detailed, too. It's, it comes a long way even in that short amount of time. Here, though, yeah, it's, it's not great. They did the best that they could, and especially on such a freaking small budget that they had. They did amazing work. I am not going to criticize it. Is it up to the standards of, say, Star Trek? or other science fiction movies and shows being produced at the time? No, probably not, but they didn't have the budget, not even close to these other shows. So they did a lot with very little, and they only get better. So if that's the one thing that stops you from watching Babylon 5 and keeping on going, try your best to ignore that and get invested in the story, because that eventually, I think, leaves you. You get used to it. Yes. And it does get better. <laughs> now, one of the things this, the pilot does is sort of introduce us to the fact that, you know, I forget, I don't know if it's Lita or who's like, Babylon 5? Why the 5? Oh. Oh, right. Why Babylon 5? I think Delenn oh, asks you're, you're that right. question. And, and so I, I forget we get Jeff Sinclair or whoever's like, you know, explains the Babylon history that, of course, Babylon, Babylons 1 through 3 were sabotaged. And Babylon 4 just disappeared. Yeah, like you do. Just... Uh, but yeah, no big deal. No questioning about that. We just moved on and yeah. built a fifth one. Guys, should we... Yeah. And that's never going to be brought exactly. up again. They just threw, no. You know, Babylon 5, they just throw these things <laughs> out there and they never follow up. It's typical, typical B5. Um, uh, seriously. <laughs> now, now I we said it say no spoilers, but this is season one, so we can spoil things in season one. I think one thing that, that did distract me in The Gathering... Why is Morden in the CNC? Guys, Morden's in the CNC. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, what yeah. the hell? Why is Ivanova, you know, not just <laughs> in there with a pitchfork ready to storm him off? <laughs> that seems so very wrong. <laughs> now, I guess we should touch on the characters we never see again. So there is Lieutenant Commander Takashima. Okay, yes, this is a big deal. Okay, yeah, Laurel Takashima... Okay, I- I'm just going to throw this out here. I am really glad they got rid of the actress, mm-hmm. and eventually they brought in Claudia Christian instead to play Ivanova. These are different characters, by the way. Laurel Takashima was going to have a completely different story than Susan Ivanova does. I And I just didn't really care that much for Takashima. Yes, we only saw her for this thing, but 
I would not have liked the trajectory that her character was going to go in, which was basically to be the traitor yes. that ultimately uh, basically uh, assassinates the president and shoots Garibaldi in the back right. toward the end of season one. Yeah, and I, cause I think that would have been... Dis- now, what did you think of her? Um, well, well, both her and Ivanova like illegal coffee. Um, but other than that, you know... Yes. Um, you know, it's one of those things that's hard to know what she... I mean, she's she's a very... What's I'm trying to say? I don't want to say serious, because, I mean, she's not serious, but um, I don't know. She's not very loose, um, which is funny because... And we'll get to Ivanova in a sec, er, in a couple minutes here. But I think even Ivanova, even though she can come across in uniform as serious, when she's out of uniform, she's fun. But, like, um, with Takashima... Oh, totally. She seems like she's sort of not on the straight and narrow because no one on the command staff is. But um, that she, I don't know. It just didn't seem like there's a lot of fun elements there. I mean, maybe she had some wry humor, but yeah, I definitely don't know if I was someone I would want to watch for the next five years. Right, and as far as even the sense of humor goes, I mean, she's got nothing on Ivanova. <laughs> so I feel like Ivanova is a much better character in the long run. So I wasn't sad to see Takashima go. Also, Doctor Kyle. Right. He might have been fine, but you know what? I really like Dr. Franklin, so I'm glad he went bye-bye, yeah, you too. Know, one thing I think is interesting about Dr. Kyle, um, and I'm going to, as I say this, I'm thinking, you know, he has he obviously has a very pronounced accent. I don't know where the actor is from. I assume he's from a African country. I don't know if that's for a fact. Um, but I thought that was something, obviously, you don't always see on American TV. Um and so, you know, Stephen Franklin is, you know, sort of has generic American accent. Um, and then I know Ivanova throws in some Russian, but not a lot, really. Um, and so I thought that was interesting to have a not strong much. non-American cast member. And so I was kind of sad that that kind of went away. And, of course, you know, he's older than, than Stephen is. So that sort of yeah. would have been a different dynamic because I think Dr. Kyle sort of would have been the the – the older sage uh, figure versus Franklin who doesn't necessarily have things figured out quite yet. So I don't know. I, I could have kept him. You know, no. Way. Actually, yeah, you make some really good points. I mean, as far as representation on TV goes, Tristan and I were just talking in the last Punch It about how, you know, older actors are not well represented at all. And Dr. Kyle, I mean, he kind of fits that bill. He's a slightly older gentleman. And I do like the... Uh, or, and I do like that you pointed out that he was not your typical American accent guy. Yeah. <laughs> he came from somewhere else. And whether, I don't know if that's the actor's natural accent or if he made that up. Either way, it was, that was great. It really was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it does show that Earth is a little more global. Yeah. yeah. If, if that's a thing, you know what I mean? You know what I'm trying <laughs> no, to say? No. And, and I think, what, you know, Babylon 5, I'm going to say it's 100%. But, I mean, you do hear non American humans. In Babylon 5, like, you hear Spanish in one episode, you hear, yeah. you'll see other people who are wearing garbs from non-United States places, and, you know, and so I think there there is definitely, you know, are they 100%, but at least 50% effort going towards showing we're not just American humans in, in space, that it is the whole Earth Alliance. Right, right. Yeah, it's not just the aliens who are quote-unquote different, which is refreshing. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of the aliens, why don't we talk a little bit about Delenn? Mm-hmm. Uh, she, uh, in The Gathering. She looks a little different. Uh, she looks a little different. A little bit. The makeup is not quite as refined as it is later on as season one progresses. And I feel like Mira Furlan, who played her, 
she started off trying to act like an alien, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. She's trying to be a little too mysterious. She's trying to just have some strange mannerisms that she might think are alien, but really they just kind of come off as awkward. But she and Delenn, they both smooth out over time. Thank goodness. Now, she literally, and then she puts herself in a cocoon. Yeah. and Well, she literally smooths out. Like, she's, she's very smooth in, in season one. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, kind of like eggshell head. Yeah, right, and, big time. And then, <laughs> and then Londo has crazy hair in the gathering that gets a little more yes the centauri under control in season one um <laughs> it's much better yes. refined and then definitely. even jakar's makeup and the, takes a little evolution just a little bit not quite as pronounced or maybe as obvious mm-hmm. though but they they did a decent job i thought with jakar in the gathering mm-hmm. And then I get, and we can talk about the story if so. you if you want. But I guess the only the only one of the notes I had um, for the gathering was you know uh, for those who don't remember, uh, there's a big fight at the end with uh, Jeff Sinclair fighting this uh, shapeshifter is not the right word, but they have a thing that changes their appearance. And uh, he mm-hmm. it, you know the the Vorlons are coming to get Babylon Five, and they're gonna like blow everything up because you know Kosh was attacked and blah blah blah. And so they're like, hey, let's send the recorders because we just have floating cameras in Babylon Five. That's just a thing. Fine. That's you know whatever. Sure, it's the, yeah. it's the it selfies happens. of the 23rd century. Um, and so the recorders are following. It's the GoPros. Exactly. So they're following <laughs> Jeff. And, and it's funny because, like, there's all action happening. And, like, when the recorders finally get him, these flying cameras, I'm like, I feel like it's just the end of, like, him punching out someone and then it's a Minbari. And I'm like, and the Volans are like, okay, we're good. I'm like, what do you mean? What, what, what did you possibly see? You just saw, like, Jeff smack a Minbari. And you're like, oh, we're good. That was definitely not your fault now. <laughs> yeah, I actually feel like the whole Sinclair story is fairly skippable with the exception of one line, and that is, there is a hole in your mind. Because that'll come back a little <laughs> bit later. But actually, I think the most interesting thing that happens in all of the gathering, because it for a pilot, it's really slow. The most interesting thing to me was when Lita got to see what Kosh oh, looks yes, like. yes. Because no one's been able to see what a Vorlon looks like before, and there's a lot of controversy, basically, about whether to do this or not. And ultimately, she does, and then we don't see her for a couple Dr. of seasons. Kyle gets to see him, too, and we don't see him again, ever. So I see a yes. pattern here. <laughs> That's why they had to leave. Well, so, I, yeah, overall, our, I think we're in agreement. The, the gathering is pretty skippable, unfortunately. Yeah. It is the pilot, but you can dive right in with Midnight on the Firing Line, which is season one, right. episode one. And you can be just fine, and you're better entertained. And I think the only other detail, and it's funny because I, I think there's also some like, I don't know if it was actually in there when the gathering aired, but like a special edition or whatever. But there's one portion, and that is that when Kosh arrives on the station, he goes to shake Jeff Sinclair's hand. And so he reveals himself. That's right, because how did he get poisoned if he was wearing the encounter suit? And so that's always like, because apparently he says something like, until until, uh, Sinclair, or something, or something that makes you like, what what was what? And then... Yeah, you have no idea what that means And of course we still have no idea what that means in season one. So anyway, but yes. No, we do not. But midnight on the firing line. But we will figure it out. Yeah, well actually I think, now that we're delving into... 
the heart, the mainstay of season one. I think we had to do a smite or a slight breakdown of our main characters, maybe starting with Sinclair. I'm Commander Sinclair. Welcome to Babylon 5. Uh, just so people, like, we can talk about what, what sense we get out of them. And uh, that way, we're setting up for when we do future episodes and we can talk about their arc. Because Babylon 5 is awesome and everybody has their own little journey as they go through the bigger story. So let's talk about Sinclair because um, there's quite a bit going on here. I mean, he is your kind of classic tortured war hero. <laughs> He's given credit for helping win the Earth Minbari War, but he doesn't even have the luxury of knowing how it happened. Right. And so, of course, we find out much more about this later, but like, really, even what clues we get in season one is nothing compared to what we learn later. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that you, you said haunted. I think there are two things going on there. Well, probably more than that. But one thing is throughout the season, throughout the seasons, um, Sinclair encounters a lot of people, whether it's other humans or even Minbari or, or other people, who think they know what it was like to, to be in the war, to be in the fight. You know, and, and you have humans who are all like, you know, we could have beat the Mimbari, you know, rah, rah, rah. You know, you're a hero. You know that. And, you know, they they were scared. And that's why they surrendered. And Sinclair is kind of like, you weren't there. OK, you don't know what happened. And he just right. has sort of those flashbacks of oh, who's the guy that always dies in the flashback. You know, you know, he always has that one guy that he thinks about who broke formation and just got blown up by the Mimbari. Oh, gosh, I forget yeah. his name. It was his f- best friend in yes. Earth Force. And then so then you have uh, Sinclair who makes the ultimate decision when he gets fired on at the Battle of the Line. He's just going to suicide kamikaze run it into the Mimbari and then that's when he loses his time. Um, and then throughout season one there's sort of a running you know it, it's sort of funny. You, you think the typical like captain commander in this case you know he's the one who's always going to be in the middle of the action and and you know risking his life to beat up the alien or find out the mystery and putting his life on the line but it's you know any other series i'd be treated like oh that's you know like captain kirk it's normal whatever but it's i think midway midway (laughs) through the season or maybe later like garibaldi sits him down and says what's wrong with you like do you Uh, yeah no do you have a death wish basically is what he's asking yes yes he really does i think he says that like verbatim and Garibaldi is like, come on, dude, what is going on with you? And they have to have a discussion about it. And there is a part of Sinclair that is all too happy to sacrifice himself because he's trying so hard, I guess, to find meaning for, I, I, I think, everything. His existence. Why Why is this this way? And <laughs> why, uh, why was I spared? Why was I aboard the ship when he started experiencing the flashbacks and... Uh, the poor guy. It's got to be very confusing. Yeah, and and I think that is something that's maybe a little, little more philosophical. I don't know the right word about this main character. You know, when you compare it to other main characters, that he is someone. You know, I think there's the episode with the seeker, and Delenn kind of says, "Well, you should you should know, aren't you a seeker or something like that?" And that sort of takes him aback. And then there's he's always sort of like portrayed by like a man with a destiny, but he, what he knows not what. Um, and and yeah, and e- even when right. um the great machine the, the epsilon alien i forget what his name was you know when he appears to sinclair mm-hmm. uh delenn says later you know i didn't want sinclair to go down because he probably would have never come back he would have sacrificed himself to be in the great machine <laughs> and so yeah there is this right? continue sinclair right. is a seeker thank goodness for draw <laughs> yeah. who stepped in took yes. over 
to run that incredible machine, <laughs> whatever yes, it is. And that is, that's a crazy part. But yes, there's the, the, the big uh, planet we're orbiting is, it turned out it's a huge machine the whole time. So so the other thing with Captain or Commander Sinclair is uh, his on-again, off-again relationship with this woman named Catherine Sakai. Right. And they have apparently, they've been doing this whole thing for a long time and then they, they kind of get together they make it work for a little bit, and then they go off their own ways. Then a few years later, they come back, and they do it all over again. And toward the very end of season one, Sinclair finally just says, Hey, do you want to get married? <laughs> now, now, we both have gone through the engagement process. How would you, how would you rate his engagement proposal on a scale of one to ten, Char? <laughs> I would say that's a pretty... I'm going to, you know, I think even a two is a little generous. It's pretty awful. There's no ring. There's no amazing words. There's no amazing moment. It's just like, hey, you want to tie the knot or not? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, from the guy's perspective, do you agree or, or was this no, okay? Was I mean, for the relationship, maybe it was what it needed to be. I mean, you could maybe write it off like that. I mean, Sinclair does not strike me as the most romantic no. guy. And I think it's, it's an interesting uh, revelation to his character that, and I think you can see it with a lot of characters, whether it's on purpose or not, that they have this, you know, Sinclair is a natural leader. He, he has all these strong qualities, but he's also a person. And so I think when you see, yeah, I know. <laughs> and I see, you know, when you, we're all very different, of course, within our own relationships and our own, house and all that stuff and so you sort of get like what Sinclair at home is like who's like awkward city you know and and they, they <laughs> that him and Catherine do have this sort of weird but it works for them relationship and like they're almost arguing like that's they love to I don't say they love to argue but they they sort of have that that's how they talk to each other but it makes sense for them yeah that is their banter that is just how they talk to each other i agree like if you uh stepped into one of their conversations you might think they're arguing or fighting but no that's just the way they are now one thing that's kind of a recurring thing throughout all of season one is that we learn that sinclair is a master at reading the fine print of regulations and he uses that information to loophole his way out of just about anything he doesn't want to do like um, forgoing Ivanova from a brain scan. That was just one of several examples. Uh, he does this a lot. He's really good at it. He knows how to get through the legal mumble yeah, it's like jumble. With the uh, the union episode when um oh I forget the the name of the yeah. act but whatever when they when they uh, when he gets like the orders um, from Earth and he's like okay well let's read what it says and he knows how to act in his parameters there. Yeah, no, he that's a great example. That, that whole episode resolves because Sinclair reads the fine print and finds a way out of the situation. So it's not where you have one option or two. No, actually, you take the other road and there's three. And I think three. that's the unique position of Sinclair. I mean, he's the commander of Babylon 5. He's the chief diplomat. He represents Earth on the Babylon Council. But he's like in charge of all these like real stuff that you normally wouldn't see in a series. Like He's in charge of the budget. He's in charge of working with the unions, you know, right. and all this like menial stuff that you, would, of course, would have to do. Um, like he's bureaucrat, he's yeah. officer, he's all these things, and I think that's always interesting. Yeah, and somehow Sinclair makes it look fairly mm -hmm. easy. Well, I was just going to say that that with Sinclair, of course, there's always the thing of on the battle of the line. You know, we find that, of course, that the Minbari took him aboard and scanned him in front of the Great Council. 
uh, with the triluminary or whatever we're calling that thing. Um, and of course, Delin was uh-huh. there. And then it's. Yeah, as know, we learn. So uh, it's interesting, you know, whether. I mean, I know the answer because I've seen the series. But, like, you know, when, when that light lights up for <laughs> him, we, we're never told what that means quite yet. Right. Yeah, we've got to go a little bit further until we get a lot more information. Well, why don't we uh, move on from Sinclair, unless you have any other thoughts, and talk about the next in command, one of my favorite people in the whole freaking world, Susan Mother Effin Ivanova. I'd like you to take the time to learn the Babylon 5 mantra. Ivanova is always right. I will listen to Ivanova. I will not ignore Ivanova's recommendations. Ivanova is God. And if this ever happens again, Ivanova will personally rip your lungs out. Babylon control out. Just kidding about that God part. No offense. <laughs> okay, well, what can I, I mean, what do I say about such an incredible character? She is, she's got such great wit. She likes coffee. Um, I mean, she she cleans up well when she's off duty. I mean, she always looks really yeah, nice. Yeah, that, that was one thing. I, I, I wrote that note down. I felt like, okay, I don't want to be like typical, like stupid guy. But I'm like, I just want to point out the fact that, I mean, someone who comes across, you know, as I'm Russian and, you know, I'm in charge. And, and you're like, oh, you know, what? But like, and she's off duty and she's as feminine as any woman could be. And, and she is able to do both these mm-hmm. things and she does them both great. Yeah. So. She does. She literally lets her hair down, and she's a lot of fun. Like in the episode where, or um, what is it? In the episode of Parliament of Dreams, where Londo is just drunk off his you know what, she is one of the few people at that table who's really actually enjoying herself. <laughs> you know, she's kind of laughing along, having a good time. That's, that's me. That is Susan Ivanova. And I relate a lot to her. She's like the amped up version that I would like to be of mm-hmm. myself. <laughs> Just because she's smarter than me. She's wittier than me. She has such great lines in this series. Like one of the very first things she says is one of my favorite quotes, and it's, I'm in the middle of 15 things, all of them annoying. <laughs> Can I just be her? Because that, well, I, <laughs> I get it. I, I think you would it. do just as, just as well in the bar fight. <laughs> Ooh, well, thank you. That is a huge compliment. I don't know. We would see. And I also love this season one version where the word boom <laughs> happens multiple times out of Ivanova's There's mouth. There's always a boom. Her usage of it is, is Yeah. Boom. Sooner or later. Boom. <laughs> yes. So it's things like that that really make me appreciate Ivanova, aside from the fact that, yes, she is a very strong character. Um, and she does have very, she has some, and she does have this depth to her, too. I mean, we learn that she is Jewish. We learn that, I mean, the way she had to process her father's death was somewhat unique. She put it off and she put it off, and then Uncle Yosel came out. And finally convinced her to go through the ritual to actually kind of put her grieving to rest and actually deal with it because she didn't until then. And, and of course, I have to point out, and, of um, course, that the rabbi was played by Worf's adopted father. Ah, very. Yeah. Actually, there's several uh, Star Jeffrey Trek Combs. people whom we... Uh, <laughs> Jeffrey Combs is in freaking Babylon 5. He's not just everywhere in Star Trek. But also we have Walter Koenig yes. as Bester, who is the evil psychor guy. <laughs> and I could not help but notice that Adam Nimoy directed oh, I, an episode, maybe more, of Babylon 5. Mm. 
So how about that? And there's actually there's actually yeah. another Star Trek guy. I don't know his name. He's from Star Trek Two. He plays Khan's second or assistant. Uh, oh, Yokia. Yes, and he's also. Is is that how you say I, that? Yeah, I always and forget. he's in that one where they're steal but, Sinclair. Yes. Yes. Yes, you're right. I recognized his face, and I do not remember the actor's name, but he is in there too. And we're going to see a lot more as we keep going. Now, here's a question, and I noticed it, and I think I knew this in the back of my head, but you know, you're watching, and you know, so Susan wears one earring. Did you do you know any backstory yes. about that, or is that just? I think that is something we learn a little bit later okay. on, the details of which I do not to remember, to be completely mm. honest. So let's address that once okay. we learn, or in my case, relearn. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing about this show is there are so many little details. It really is hard to remember it all and keep track. And I'm absorbing so much as a result of this rewatch uh, from more than a decade of faded memories and, <laughs> and reliving it and all again. And one thing about Susan... And I think I'm right in saying this, so you can correct me. I think she has the deepest family background story. Like, I know more about her father, mother, brother um, than any other person. Yeah, no, it's true. Yes, and she's one of those characters that actually has a mother whom we see, at least yes. in a dream. Yeah. and so Yes, and it's fairly tragic. So what do you, you think know? about her, her psychor, Talia, telepath? All the stuff we see in season one. Telepathing. Oh, that's a pretty interesting little complication. It makes sense given that Ivanova's mother was a telepath, that Ivanova would be a latent telepath. And of course, this leads to some intricacies between her and Talia, which we will see develop next season, much more so. Because this season, so far, all we really had was Ivanova was a little bit of a jerk to Talia and then later apologized. Well, and they had a drink together. I thought together. there were two interesting parts of Talia. One, there was the episode where they basically played battling mothers with the young telepath. Um, and so oh, yes. That put them yes. in a very interesting dynamic because even though they were being somewhat antagonistic, they were still together, you know, sort of like bickering parents. Right. And then... You had, uh -huh. speaking of Jeffrey Combs, I know his character had a name, I don't know what it is, but Jeffrey Combs was playing a telepath. When he was mentioned Talia, he's like, oh, I'm sorry, there was such a strong reaction when I mentioned Talia's name. I, I didn't mean to. <laughs> right, right. So obviously something's already going on between these two, and that only develops further. We mentioned what that is in our other podcast with Punch It, in our other discussion, <laughs> rather. So if you want to know what it is, there it is, but... For the meantime, we don't know where that leads yet, allegedly. Okay. And then the uh, <laughs> third member of the, if you want to call it a triumvirate, yeah, you could, is uh, Mr. Garibaldi. Oh, Mr. Garibaldi. All right, yes, okay. Michael Garibaldi. Now, this is a character who I feel is one of the most complex, <laughs> maybe behind Ivanova, uh, as far as what we learn about them in season one. We learn that he has quite the backstory with addiction, especially to alcohol. Um, he's not done terribly well with a lot of his jobs in the past. Usually he manages to screw things up and then has to go on to the next thing. And he's on Babylon 5 because of Sinclair. And those two have a pretty solid relationship. Right. Yeah. So what do you think about Michael Garibaldi? I, I, well, you know, um, there's his second favorite thing in the universe. And um, I guess we've never really told his his first favorite thing in the universe oh um we can guess yeah, it, it involves being in a turbo lift with talia i think 
Um, but anyway, I, I, I think <laughs> in his dreams <laughs> it does. <laughs> um, yeah, because he's he's such uh, the um, blue collar kind of character. I don't like again. I hate to use Star Trek. Miles O'Brien would be my third. But but no. But he's sort of like your your ordinary man, your regular man. Even though we're in space, it's the future. Um, he's sort of like of all the folks. He's because he's not like a pilot. Well, he he. I guess he is a pilot because everyone ends up in a star fury you know at one time or another but anyway but like you know he's he's sort of the yeah. grunt you know he's he's come up the hard way you know he's not an officer i guess in the strictest sense like we're never really explained how he joined earth force i almost feel like he's like a contractor you know like i mean he's not but i almost feel like it's you know it's one of those like <laughs> you know you feel like he would be enlisted if, if such a thing is i don't I, no one knows how it works but he's the chief of security obviously um and that he one of the things i think is most interesting is is his relationships with with the two aliens, Londo and Jakar. We don't see a lot with him and Jakar. There's yeah. a little bit. We don't see a lot. But him and Londo have this really interesting friendship may or may not be the word, but 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 bond of of helping each other out. <laughs> it's when something. One's down yeah. and one's up cuz one's always down and one's always up, but yeah. Yeah, and they and they do too. I mean, there is oh, I forget which episode now. It's the one where Londo sits next to Garibaldi. Garibaldi is just sulking, you know. He's nursing a, a water mm-hmm. at this point, <laughs> and uh, it, Londo cheers him up yep. and said, "You looked like you needed a friend, Mr. Garibaldi." And that is their relationship. <laughs> Whatever it is, it can't be that bad. That's right. I think that's, that's actually right. the one where uh, the Mars uh, revolution happens, and he can't get in contact with Lise. Yes, you are correct. Yes. Thank you. Yes. And so, yeah, there's the other part of Garibaldi's past: is he lived on Mars for a while, met this woman named Lise, and come to find out, turns out that she's okay after some Mars revolution stuff happening. But she's married and is expecting a baby. Yeah. And mm. I, I think that's the most twisting the knife for Garibaldi. Because you have this whole episode. He brings up this thing. And he's like, you know. And then he finally gets to her. He's like, oh, I've been thinking everything. You know, we, we, it's a mistake. You know, I, I love you. We should get back together. And she's like, I'm married. He's like, that's yep. great. Yep. Uh, transmission has been troubled. Yeah, congratulations. Shh. I'm in a tunnel. <laughs> you know. And so, yeah. No happy endings for Michael yeah. Garibaldi. Certainly not with yes, this season. Yes, no. and how is you know, and I and I, I think it's interesting, kind of the characters that not, I don't want to say their background, but like I think part of his team, like you have uh, Officer Welch, is his name Lou, or am I making that up? But anyway, uh-huh. um, who I think is is you know one of his security people who, who is very interesting, very you know loyalty to Garibaldi because. You know, things are, are go around, and Welch is like, oh, let's, I think I should tell the chief about this. You know, I think when they had the guy sniffing around about Sinclair, who ended up being like the colonel. Um, but then, of course, and I don't even remember his name, you have his second in command who ends up shooting him in the back. Yeah, like a literal <laughs> backstabber. What a jerk. And how'd you like the drip yes. drop throughout the season one of people saying, hey, watch your butt, watch, watch your back, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, apparently Garibaldi didn't cling on to that, but uh, it was certainly there. Some foreshadowing. All right, our next human, I mean, there's more, but the next human in sort of the command team is Dr. Franklin, who doesn't come up till the second episode. And I'd say he doesn't really get a lot of love in the first season, but, but what did you think of Dr. Franklin? Uh, he's likable. 
in for the most part uh he is sort of like a he's a more likable version of early dr bashir from ds9 (laughs) (laughs) he's eager he wants to help like he does his clinic in in gray sector for people who can't afford treatment and med lab which isn't that hilarious that there's still insurance in the 23rd century that's so sickening isn't it god I really, of all things, I wish we could just have affordable health care for everybody. Darn it. Why is this so hard? <laughs> but apparently, like, it's really hard. Had no idea how hard it was. Uh, anyway, yeah, Franklin doesn't get a whole lot of love. The big th- episode that he got was Believers, where uh, medical ethics and religion clash, and he really wants to save this boy with a treatment that would really in the end be no real big deal except to this alien race if he is operated on if he's cut open his soul escapes and he is basically as dead as a doornail to them and that is essentially what happens um you know so poor kid had no chance no matter what franklin did and (laughs) so i feel like that was a good episode of growth for him because i think the next time he faces a situation like this He's going to take a step back. He's not going to be quite so eager. He's not going to be quite so steadfast to his code of rules. He's going to consider the other side before taking action. Right, and I think that's one interesting thing about Babylon 5 is that we know, I'd say for 80% of all characters, their religious preference. And so I think Franklin is very strong, science, you know, religion, blah, 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 whatever. I know their beliefs. I can play around with them to make it work for me because science is what's going to rule this day. And then, of course, as we already mentioned, Susan is Jewish. Um, and, and you know, I, I don't know how to describe how Jewish is, her, she is, and I wouldn't try to describe it, other than she's more than just culturally Jewish. But, you know, because she says, you know. She's more Russian yeah, than she, Jewish. She says, that's how I would describe right. her. Because I think she says to the rabbi or someone like, you know, I haven't stopped being Jewish or whatever. And then, of course, we have Sinclair. Not necessarily that he's overtly religious, but we certainly hear he was raised by the Jesuits. And so he certainly has an, a scholarly Catholic background somehow. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to some aliens. Yes, let's talk aliens. How about uh, the Minbari? Because they float in and out of this season without revealing a whole heck of a lot about themselves. Uh, You know, they're mysterious in general, and I think that suits Delenn to a T. Yeah, because I feel like the Vorlons, even as mysterious as they are, I think the Mimbari, and specifically Delenn, but are, are, like, we know they know something and they're not telling us. The Vorlons just don't say anything, and that's it. But the the, the Mimbari are here, and they're like, yeah, we're hiding this from you. That, that's kind of the difference is the Vorlons don't really say anything, so we'd have no idea with them. With the Minbari, we do, and that makes all the difference. And so little things squeak out, like that Delenn was a part of the religious cast, or is, well, was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she gets kind of casted out, mm-hmm. if you will, uh, with the Grey Council, that is. I am Grey. I stand between the candle and the star. We are Grey. We stand between the darkness and the light. When she refuses to come aboard, uh, because she eventually builds that chrysalis, which is going to have some ramifications down the line. Uh, But yeah, the Mimbari culture, very interesting, because there's a lot of, I would say, anger between the religious caste and the warrior caste. Those are our two primary castes. 
in Mimbari culture about the Battle of the Line. Now, this was 10 years ago, and people are still steamed about it because the Mimbari surrendered at the behest of the religious caste, and nobody but the Great Council really knows why. Right. And I think that it's sort of the interesting plot as things go on, you know, as Sinclair is trying to figure out why he has a hole in his mind, and he shares it with Garibaldi, and they start to investigate. And then you have uh, when he's captured and his brain gets whatever. Um, but we also find out from Delin, so she is a member of the Grey Council, but she's chosen to be a quote-unquote ambassador on Babylon 5 just to see, watch things, maybe watch Sinclair, I don't know, maybe watch humans. And then you even have Lanier, when he arrives, he's like, oh, oh, Setai Delin. And she's like, do not call me that. It's just Delin, chill. Yep. <laughs> right, right. And they just really honestly cannot believe that somebody of her stature wants to be on Babylon 5. Why would you want to be in this dump <laughs> when you could be an elite member of the Grey Council at, at the highest level of your species? And it is interesting that we learn that the Mangbaris have caste, and inside the caste they have clans. Um, and so, yeah. you know, like the, the... I can't remember. There's that warrior caste clan that's like just crazy. Um, the ones that were hiding Deathwalker and all that. Oh, right, I think Lanier says what clan he's from. Third Fate of Judoma. There you go. (laughs) That's the one I remember. (laughs) And so, but I think with with Delin and with the Mimbari in general, you get the sense, whether it's her magic rings or whatever, that that they are very powerful, but they are choosing not to use it at this particular time. Yes, things are done very much on kind of a need-to-know slash need-to-use basis Mm -hmm. in the Mimbari culture. And so that, I think, is in part why the chrysalis toward the end of season one is such a big deal. And I think she's also, and I think it's fair to use this word, manipulative, because... Yes, I think that's yeah, fair. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of, of you know, the way she kind of drip drops things to Sinclair and, and the other folks. Like, she definitely has an agenda. It's the prophecy, you know, she's talking about, mm-hmm. you know, she believes, and we don't know what the prophecy is, but we know that there's a prophecy out there that she believes in. The other Mimbar, you're kind of like, well, you know, it says a lot of things. Um, and she's like, no, I want to see what's going <laughs> to go going to happen, and I'm going to stay here. And, uh, you know, the fact that she gets offered to be the leader of the Great Council, and she's like, no thanks, I don't want to be in a ship my whole life. Yeah, yeah. And you're right, especially with Sinclair, she is manipulative because she could just sit him down and tell him the whole story and really help Sinclair kind of maybe close some of the chapters, like the gaps in his brain and in his life and help him maybe like move Mm -hmm. on. But she doesn't. She does, but he's a little too late. But she doesn't. And that sort of in a nutshell is Delenn in the first season. And we're going to see her operate more in this fashion just as the seasons go on more and more. I mean, this, I think, is just the way that she is. But it also has a lot to do with just the fact that she is a Minbari. Right. And then just for a few seconds, Lanier. Um, I like that he's this, you know, a very soft-spoken student of history, very, very religious, very devout. But then he kicks butt in the bar fight, you know, when he's with Londo. So it's like, don't, don't, don't mess yeah. with him. Yeah, lest we forget, Mimbari are pretty physically strong mm-hmm. and robust. Yeah, and so yeah, you do not want to mess with them. I like that he got a little love that episode because we didn't really get a lot, yes. a lot of linear, but Londo befriended him for a second, and then we 
We got a little linear love there. Yes, and showed him some of the less savory parts of Babylon 5. <laughs> if this has any alcohol in it, we could get in a homicidal rage. No, 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 no. Alcohol. All right, so let's move on to our next. Oh, so good. What an odd pairing, those two. <laughs> I know. I, th- I think they just you know throw the dartboard sometimes with these episodes. Um, so speaking of Londo, <laughs> Londo Malati. Yeah, let's talk about Londo. Very- he... Um, you know, season one, Londo really is pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, and I, he is kind of like the drunk uncle <laughs> who will take you to the strip club, gambling, whatever you want. Right. He will befriend you, especially if you'll buy him a drink. <laughs> and then he's your friend for life. Pretty much. Give him some chips. It's it's very interesting that you know because also I think he's like lives in the madman universe of Babylon Five because he's drinking the entire time every scene <laughs> like yeah he's in the, i think the briefing room in one episode where he's with sinclair and ivanova and he's got like a martini glass Hot in his Jala. hand the dude does not yes. stop <laughs> and they're conducting yes. business he's like water blah never touch the stuff also That's right. um <clears throat> we we get to see a lot of londo this season uh, um, yes, we learn a bit about his anatomy. We know that there are six. <laughs> you can guess what six yes. are. Did you not think the statue? Uh, anyway, um, but but I. Th- it is anatomically <laughs> correct. But I think th- the thing about Lon, of course, I don't want to say sad figure. I mean, kind of, he is a sad figure. I'll say that because he's sort of longing. He realizes that. The Centauri Republic, which was once great and controlled everything in the name of the Centauri, would throw fear and everyone is now capitulates left and right and they don't fight any battles anymore. Then aren't want to take some space, you know, whether it's Ragesh or, you know, a quadrant or whatever. They're like, fine. And so he, he has to be the ambassador for that sad race once former great race. And he's sad about it and he doesn't like it, but 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 he's also yes. a strong conservative you know little c conservative traditionalist about what could have been what was and what what you know i want that back yes yeah that is it uh he wants to make centauri great again the history of his people yeah yeah make centauri great again oh boy but it's kind of true i mean he longs for the good old days where everything was better in the past and he wants to see his people rise to that level again. But and and it's interesting because he, he has his episode where he falls in love and where you would th- yeah yes, where well, you think that would challenge because there's some uh, I don't think they have cast but they have appearances is what they call it, I guess in Centauri um, and that everyone has their station might be the right word and that you know she is of course of lower station and he's of higher station and then because that you can trace her family and blah 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 but he sort of as someone who is so traditionalist he for love just opens himself off or opens himself up to that experience even when she kind of quote unquote betrays them finds out she's a slave which a slavery still exists that's a thing um, so yeah mm-hmm yeah, certainly within this culture. And we also know, though, that Londo has three wives. And so uh, extramarital affairs, not a big deal. I mean, I guess as long as the paychecks keep coming and he's keeping the ladies happy back home, yes, all is well. The, the, this... They're taken care of. They don't want anything else. 
okay. <laughs> of course, we do learn more about those three wives later on, but right now that's right. all we Right, and really I think it's got. interesting, though, we sort of see the, the opposite of that in the episode where the young Centauri, yes, it's Winnie from The Wonder Years, um, show up. <laughs> yes, oh my God. And, and he's sort of like, oh God, you all are in love, that's disgusting, that's not anything to do with marriage. Um yeah, you want to marry for ah. love because they have arranged yes. marriages. And and but at the end, he kind of you know tur- turns things around within his realm, and and using even mm-hmm. older traditions. And so I think that's interesting that that's how he thinks. And of course, to capstone the discussion of Londo Shar, how does he answer? What do you want? Isn't it? Why don't you eliminate the entire non-home world while no, you're no, at it? No, no, it is to be great. I don't know what the exact phrasing is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, want, he wants it all back. I want it all back the way it was. That's right. Make Centauri Prime yes. great again. And so what, what do you think that reveals about Londo? Because when we when Mr. Morden's associates take care of Quadrant 37, I don't know if that's the right numbers off the top of my head, Um you know, Londo's like, that's 10,000 Narn. And Morden's like, I didn't know you cared. So so in Londo's reaction, because this is about the last episode, where do you see, how how far is Londo willing to go as you see it in season one to reclaim what he wants? I'm not sure if Londo knows at this point. I think this was a good warning for him. It, it's a precursor of things to come. And... Uh, you know, a little bit of foreshadowing here. I don't want to go into too many details of the future, but Londo kind of becomes a dark, tragic character as things go mm-hmm. on. Uh, and um, so Londo knows what he wants, but he doesn't know what it's going to take to get there. And so when something happens that actually progresses his agenda, what he wants, he's like, oh, I do want that, but not like that. Right. You know, he doesn't really think through the the how and the why and the consequences. He just wants the greatness back. He wants the results without the means. And then... Even though Mr. Morden is more than happy to provide them. (laughs) And then just briefly, what do you think about the moon-faced assassin of joy? Oh, Veer! (laughs) Yes, I I love Veer. Stephen First is fantastic. I love how it is shown by the length of hair on a Centauri. I think that establishes the prominence. And, of course, Veer does not have nearly the amount of a, what would you call this, extension? I don't know. Because it doesn't stand out as much as Londo. Yeah, something like that. But poor Veer, uh, he, he does all of the dirty work. He tries so hard to keep Londo in line and save his butt. And for what? Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's an interesting character for them to bounce off. I mean, they, they, create a, they create a great pair. And perhaps, I would say, almost better than any of the other ambassadors and their attaches. I think you will always usually see the two of them together. Unlike, I mean, you usually see Linear and Dolin. But, you know, it's more of a superior, yeah. you know... A subordinate relationship but i think veer even though he's subordinate those two just bounce off each other because they're so totally different and veer sort of like this straight man to to londo's great person so he's asking the questions and like what Wait, that doesn't make sense Wait, why why would you do that no, you know and so right right no you're right i think that's very much veer's purpose and he does a fantastic job or at least tries very hard <laughs> to to do the best job that he can for Londo. It's just Londo is Londo, and he's a little hard to 
rain in sometimes. But on the flip side of that, we have the mm-hmm. Nards. We ought to talk a bit about Jakar and then later on uh, his assistant, Natoth. Right. We're not going to talk about the one that died in the turbo lift accident. Nah. <laughs> Which I like that was just like, yeah, there's a new one. She died. It's no big deal. I'm like, what? what, what, what? Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Nothing well, to, to see me, here. I think it's interesting that in season one, to me, Londo is is sort of the the I was gonna say the good guy, but that's not the right word. But anyway, he's the kind of guy you enjoy. To me, Jakar is very much the villain in season one, and so you know, hmm, that's an interesting right? way to you, put it because he comes off as more abrasive. Well, you have the because he is a little more direct, and he is a little more. Oh, what do I want to say? Uh, he's a little just, I don't know, he's got a kind of a darker right. tenor. I mean, he's more, the Narns seem to be more conniving. And, you know, t- to be fair, you know, obviously you had the Centauri, you know, take them over, but whatever. But you have the Narn, they're out for blood. They're out for, for everything. And, and and yeah, you know, you, whether it's the Ragesh 3 attack, whether it's all these other th- conniving and conspirator, you know, he's trying to, to get weapons or he's trying to get telepaths or he's trying to get whatever it will take. To, to 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 wreak revenge against the Centauri. It's true. It's true. Uh, I think Jakar, if something happens to his people, he's right. He's he, or he's there. He's steamed. He is out for blood, like you said. And the Narns, they want to get theirs. They are sick and tired of being pushed mm-hmm. around. And, they, and they're reclaiming. They're they're trying to reclaim their their uh, lost space and and territory. And uh, and I think you get some interesting looks into the Narn society, especially. I think it's it's a funny and interesting episode where Narns wor- or Narn Jakar is worried about an assassin. I mean, I think that that's oh yes, interesting subplot. <laughs> yeah, the poor guy, and then he hires a bodyguard who ends up being dead. But that's sort of <laughs> so that works. <laughs> that's when we're introduced to Natoth, um, his assistant, and I think. So he has some interesting taste. I, I like how Babylon 5 is not afraid to go to certain places. Uh, he likes the human women. Very much so, and not necessarily one <laughs> at a time either. <laughs> and here's the thing about Natoth is, you know, Veer tries very hard to keep Londo in line. Natoth is much more hands-off. She's just like, Jakar is going to do what Jakar is going to do, and I am not responsible for this. I am staying out of the way. I am looking the other way. I do not see or hear any of yeah, this, like if, even though I'm I, in the I, same That room. was the part where, like, was it Sinclair or whoever comes in, and she's like, uh, Jakar's busy, and then the three women leave the bedroom. He's like, I believe he's available now. I'm like, were you just sitting there the whole time? Yes. <laughs> yes, she was. <laughs> Maybe with earplugs. I don't know. <laughs> maybe she's playing that little game that Veer likes to play. Oh, yeah, so, maybe. So, of course, maybe. the... the... <laughs> it's going around with all the aids. <laughs> so, the weird thing about... Well, not weird. The different thing about Jakar, because I said he's, he's, he seems very ruthless. He seems very out for blood. But then he's apparently religious. Um, as I said, we, we learn people's religious yes. um, preferences. I think with Londo, we know he recognizes the gods, but he's not a fan. Um, and but I think with with uh, and I don't count Zoo. I don't, I don't know about you, uh, uh, but but in the pantheon, yeah, mm. I never. Um, but I think with with Jakar, he's a follower of Jaquan, um, as we learn, and and that yeah. since he is the highest station narn he is responsible to his the followers of jaquan and so that's sort of an interesting little and again i don't know if that to me made sense with this character but i'm like that's a different dynamic than what i've seen don't i don't know if it's uh out of character at all i think it's just we do not understand the depths 
of Jakar yet. So I don't really think that the religious thing was out of character at all. It's just we don't have enough real context. And I'm saying this in hindsight, of course. We know so much more later on about why this is important to Jakar and just a little bit more about his religious being and all that. And the various uh, Narn religions, too. We learn that there's more than just the Book of Jaquan, too, which is kind of cool because uh, why wouldn't there be more than one religion for an alien world? You know what I mean? Like, I, th I feel like monoculture happens a lot in science fiction, and so it's kind of nice to see, again, some diversity that, hey, there's a whole bunch of stuff out here. Um, so, yeah. I think later on, we're going to learn so much more about Jakar, and he's going to get so much deeper as a character. We only get a certain side of him in this season, where he's angry and biting, and we don't we don't get the good stuff. Yeah, because I think even in his answer to what do you want, you sort of get a, uh, which I think is the question, it's supposed to push you and push you and push you, and it's like, what do I want? I want to see them ruined. And, and then mm -hmm. the more nasty, and then what? And he's like, I don't know. You know, and what what more do you want from life? Once, you know. Right. Yeah, and I think unlike Londo, Jakar does not care so much about the means. Right. Like, that's what he wants. He knows it's going to be a bloody massacre, and that also is what he wants. He wants right. and, and I don't, And I think, you know, from little we know of Mr. Molden and his associates, is that there's nowhere to go with that. Whereas with Londo, to make Centauri great again, yeah. you know, there's lots of places to go with that, you know. Yeah. Let's talk just a short moment about Mr. Morden because uh, this is uh, this is going to be building up in some importance here. He's a really interesting, quote-unquote, bad mm -hmm. guy. Because he does not strike you immediately as a bad guy. I mean, he's polite. He's not violent. He actually takes no for an answer when he asks you, what do you want? And you say, just go away. He does. But we, you also get that sense, though, that he is up to no good <laughs> for very good reason. And we're just starting to learn why. That he has invisible aliens that surround him. Yes, the creepy little bastards, too. Spider bastards. And I think we've, we've gotten Mr. Morton's. I think it's, it's time to talk about sort of the, 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 the other people we saw. Um, so we talked about it a little bit. Anything else you want to say about Talia Winters, our, our resident? telepath and i think it's the whole concept of telepaths that they're not part of the military but they're civilian contractors assigned like i guess every station has a telepath and they have certain things that they're supposed to do as part of their assignment but they can make money on the side i guess basically and, and sort of do contract work there too right i think maybe i don't have so much to say about talia as i do just telepath culture in general because we do learn quite a bit about that. I mean, telepaths are very heavily reined in by Earth. They are cared for by the Psycor and very heavily regulated because, I mean, in part you can kind of understand where you don't want telepaths just running around reading people's minds all the time. But there is sort of this dark side that we get a sense of, of the Psycor. And a lot of that comes from Bester, where you can just kind of tell, like, something isn't completely innocent about that guy and we don't fully know what his deal is just yet it's just we know that he gives us the creeps right and we hear whereas talia is a lot more user-friendly and uh she's not in the psychor elite you know she works as kind of like a commercial telepath and that sort of a thing but she is a p5 and so she's skilled and 
uh, telepaths like her are in high demand for a number of things. Yeah, because I think with the Psycor, which could come across as sort of like shadowy, Section 31-y, to use a Star Trek reference. But I think we do see so many telepaths. We <laughs> see Bester and his side cops, and they seem like, you know, bad folks. Um, but then you do see uh, Ironheart, if that's his name, I believe. Um, and then you... Yes, Jason yeah, and Ironheart. you see Talia, and even Lita, who they, they don't seem like bad people. Then you have... Um, uh, Wayun is not his name, um, but you have, uh, uh, you know, you, you have his te- his telepath that he played, and he seems pretty cool. You know, he's all, almost apologetic, but, but he's like, no, you know, I believe, you know, in the side core we have to have rules, but you know, we we don't have to be dicks about it, you know. <clears throat> <laughs> right, right, and yet they kind of are, and they're extremely heavily regulated, and that's why you have people like Bester at the mm-hmm. top of it all. And then, is there anything, like, to me, one thing that's interesting, it's, it's in the background, but not really, is the whole Earth Alliance, of what's going on. You know, we had President Santiago, a little, he got reelected in the beginning of the season, here that he's sort of a, he, he's a, not happy with alien influences on Earth and trying to make Earth for Earthers or something. And then you hear these sort of different... It's Earth first. Where have we heard yes, that before? and you have the, the Home Guard. In another the fashion. The Home Guard, which is sort of like a, I don't call it a terrorist cell, but it's very fervent people who believe in Earth First philosophies. Yeah, they're, yes. they're not looked upon fondly by our by our heroes. And then you have the different people who come to Babylon 5, whether it's the, the Colonel, Crazy Pants, that's not his name. And then you also have... <laughs> it should have been. Right. Um, <laughs> I should have gotten this command. I got this scar from a Minbari. And then you also have those other folks who showed up to, to kidnap Sinclair. And so there are these people who Earth who, who don't trust what happened during the Earth-Minbari War, who, who want answers, who, who don't like alien influences. So this is starting to brim up. And then, of course, this culminates into the assassination of President Santiago and Earth Force One, which we see in the last episode, and the swearing in of Vice President Clark, who... According to a Universe Today headline, was endorsed by the Psychor. <laughs> right, and isn't it good to know that newspapers live on in this future, as well as Zima? <laughs> Did you notice that? Did you catch the Zima? And that was not a paid advertisement. That was just they picked it and said, "Okay, we're going to put Zima on here." And of course, Zima, as far as I know, is now defunct. So, hmm. okay, it's retro. <laughs> Maybe yes. it makes a comeback. So, yeah, as far as the Earth Force or the Earth Alliance type of stuff uh, goes along, I'm, it feels like brewing tension. You know, things are not, they're not calm. They're not at rest. Um, things are brewing. They're not quite uh, at the action state just yet. Things don't really seem to be turned upside down until President Santiago's his assassination. But there's definitely uh, people on Earth who've probably never left Earth, never interacted with an alien and therefore you know people fear the unknown and so the fact that there are all these alien cultures out there they fear the influence like what will become of earth if we're suddenly meddled with all these other cultures what's going to happen with that and we see that happening just in our own world and so there's a lot of great parallels there to make and so it is kind of interesting that humans are still going to be humans (laughs) in the future trying to protect their own selfish interests and fearing the unknown and 
who knows what they're going to do about it. And I, and I do love, like you said, the little touches like Universe Today, which obviously is a play on USA Today. But you, it's funny to read those headlines, even though they're all background or even foreground, technically, I suppose, to read those headlines because sometimes hmm. there'll be throwbacks to other episodes. And it's, it's you want to pay attention whenever you see a newspaper because, you know, they're, they're throwing you a bone. Something you want it's, to. It's, I just like the references. And, of course, you have ISN, the Interstellar News Network, I believe. Yes. Um, so that's that's interesting that media yes. survives. And, of course, you have the ISN reporter who actually makes more than one appearance in season one. Yes. <laughs> Does a horrible job trying to get the real story of Babylon 5 and maybe puts some of the Earthers to rest. Because, I, you know, in a way, I can't completely blame people for having some distrust. Because the Earth-Mimbari War did end very strangely. Nobody really knows what's going on here. And they don't really... I think as a result, trust anybody. It's like a blanket thing. Oh, you're an alien? What are you going to do to us? <laughs> and, uh, you know, the meanwhile, everybody who's out there who are working on Babylon 5, they see a completely different side of it that nobody else is getting. And so, uh, yeah, that whole thing with the reporter, though, I mean, she did some really bad journalism, I've got to say. I mean, I've worked in media before. She's not a good reporter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and to me, it's it's interesting where you have Earth Dome or Earth Gov or all the references, and that Sinclair has to answer. I mean, I guess ultimately to the president, um, but that like senators are like his line of communication, and so like how the Earth yeah. line Senate works is, is sort of interesting. But that's always who he seems to have to talk to or get chewed out by or something like that. So I feel like we're kind of in the lightning round here for season one. So. Is there any anything? We'll you know take quick turns here and, and until we run out or the or the time the bell rings. Um, anything else? Any what aspect of season one you wanted to talk about? You know, we could talk about little things in every little episode. I mean, there's quite a few things where they stand on their own and yet they're still building this arc. But I really want to focus toward the end, leading up to the finale, Chrysalis. Yes. Not Chrysalis. Leading up to the finale, Chrysalis, where. Everything gets turned upside down. All the tables get turned over. Nothing is the same anymore. Holy freaking wow. You already mentioned the assassination of President Santiago. President Clark takes the oath. Delenn puts herself in this cocoon. We don't know why exactly and what is going to be happening there. Garibaldi is shot in the back. He's basically comatose. We don't know if he's going to live or die. Things are looking a little crazy. A lot happens in this freaking finale. And I think I texted you as I was watching and I said, damn, this is such a good finale. <laughs> yeah, because it, you have these mix of things. Because with Babylon 5, you know, they want you to feel like the timeline. And so this, of course, when does the finale happen? Of course, on New Year's Eve. When else would it happen? And so you have the end of yeah. uh, 2258. As we're closing the story of the year, we're closing the story of the season. And we get the random good news. Like we said, we get the engagement of Sakai and Sinclair, which seems to be this happy moment. Though then you automatically know something before everything hits the yeah, fan. You automatically yeah, this is doomed, right? You know, you get right. the mysterious shadowed vessels, sh whatever that attack the quadrant. Mr. Morden's associates, Jakar, is sort of like there's another, there's a new race, and he disappears to go in search of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot. Yeah, Jakar just runs off. We yeah, don't know then, really to do yeah. what. And then you have we we don't know what question um, that Delenn had Linear posed to Kosh. 
but when she goes to appear to him, because apparently the answer is yes, I believe. She, she, yes. <laughs> she goes, and actually, before she leaves, Kosh reveals himself to her. Of course, we don't see it. No, of course not. We're not a, no, we're not so privileged. No, so apparently that answers a question. And so then she's, she's, she, and she promises Sinclair to reveal everything, but of course, he's too late. And then he forgets. He's too caught up, and then he doesn't remember until it's mm-hmm. too late. And then, to me, in this episode and every episode of Babylon 5, I don't know if this strikes you. To me, the way Babylon 5 episodes go, there's always, like, three endings. Mm, well, like, they more. can end an episode to me there, but they always have, like, two or three scenes after sort of, like, they're done with the plot. And it always adds so much. I mean, it's not a bad thing, mm. but there's times, because, you know, I'm watching it on DVD. There's no commercials or anything, so I don't really know when it's going to end. But it's all like it cuts, and you're like, oh, this could be the credits. It's like, oh, there's another scene. Oh, there's another scene. Okay. So it's almost like, to me, almost every episode almost has an epilogue to it. And so, like, you know, where you have all these things that happen yeah. in Chrysalis, but then you sort of have, you know, Jeff with Catherine. and Nothing's the same anymore. And you just have all these things, and then you get the, the scene with um, Natoth getting Jakar's message and all this just happening on this New Year's morning. <laughs> Right. No, actually, now that you point that out, yes, that's definitely something that's structurally there. And that kind of is an antithesis to most forms of TV, you know, drama-wise, where you would want the action to be almost right toward the end, maybe at the very end. And then, I mean, usually that's how it happens. It wraps up and then maybe you have a little bit of a coda to have, like, you know, a little bit of a cool down. But you're right, like, we just kind of keep going from there. We wrap some things up, but there's still a lot more unanswered questions than there are answered questions, and so we're just going to keep right on going with this. I'm just going to make some quick notes. So things that you see in Season 1 to remember that don't seem like a big deal at the time. One of them, the alien machine that the girl from Lost in Space uses. I know her character has a name. Yes. Um, But you're like, ah, We'll never see this again. I'm, I'm sure this was a one-shot episode, um, but she sort of bequeaths that machine to Dr. Franklin, and so that's something yes. that might pop up again. The mention of Mars and the revolution that's going on in, in uh, I don't know if it's Chrysalis, but at least the ones before that, where you know, the government ends uh-huh. up putting it down, but you get this thing about Marsies and and that people are not happy with the Earth Alliance, and some people might want to leave the Earth Alliance, and so... All these different things. Right. Revolution. <laughs> but I, mean, I know we could talk forever, but anything else, any last hits you want to do here? Uh, Boy, yeah, we could probably do twice as long of a podcast. We're really trying hard to condense everybody, but there is just so much in Babylon 5. If you've not watched the show, for one thing, why are you listening to us? Go and watch <laughs> it now. But if you have seen it, watch it again, because there's so many incredibly rich layers and Season one just gets the party started. From at this point forward, all hell is going to break loose, and we're going to have even harder of a time trying to keep this condensed. So, uh, honestly, no, I think this is a good stopping point. I just want to reiterate how much I love this show. Yes. Oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, it's so freaking good. Like, starting with about, I would say, maybe Babylon Squared, where we learn a little bit about what happened to Babylon 4 and why it disappeared. That's when the show really, really, really starts to kick it up a notch for me. And I'm like, yeah, okay, now we're in it. And from that point forward... I mean, they also make a promise in that episode because they we see old Sinclair. 
and you can't show old Sinclair without explaining how he gets there. And so the show has now promised us that we will learn something if we stick with it. Yes. Yeah, it's true. So, I mean, if nothing else, you've got these open threads that you've just got to find out what happens next. And so season two, I'm so ready to get started at this point. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm ready to end this podcast right now and go watch it. How <laughs> yes, about you? And so this has been Signs and Portents, which is what the name of this season is called. And in anticipation of all great things, Shar, where can people find you on the interwebs to talk all things season one Babylon 5? Oh, please talk Babylon 5 with me. My handle is oh the profanity. Where can people uh, find can you? They can find me in the Zocalo on Twitter, where my handle is NC Public Servant. Now, are you out there gambling with Londo? Or are you in the... I, I'm, I'm engaged now, so I'm, I'm sipping a nice water. <laughs> um, look, little different, I'm just watching yeah. the people come in. Where else would I be, Char? I, that's where I would be. <clears throat> I'm not judging. I'm not judging. I'm just trying to give people a little, you know, direction as to where they might find you. The Zocalo is a very big place. All right. Well, we've talked a lot of great things about Babylon 5. Of course, there's so many great things happening across the Nerd Party Network. Of course, there's great things happening on Punch It, where Char is. Yeah. And. And Seti Alpha 3. Exactly, and of course, there's so many other great shows covering Star Wars, first-time films, Harry Potter, and everything. So if you've not been uh, listening to all the other great shows on Nerd Party, please check them out on thenerdparty.com. And until then, I guess... uh, All right, activate the jump gate. No boom today. Boom tomorrow. There's always a boom tomorrow. Join the revolution. Join the Nerd Party. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.